Hi, I'm Dr. Robin Roth, but my friends call me the Booby Docs, my popular social media account where I talk about breast cancer and breast health in an educational and fun way. I'm a board-certified radiologist who specializes in breast imaging and image-guided procedures. I'm also a 40-something Ashkenazi Jewish woman with a strong family history of breast cancer and BRCA, so I know a thing or two about breast cancer. And this is my podcast, The Girlfriend's Guide to Breast Cancer, Breast Health, and Beyond. If you or someone you love has been affected by breast cancer, this podcast is for you. Each episode, I sit down with top breast cancer experts, thrivers, providers, and those that love them to bring you the breast information. So get ready to learn, laugh, and let's be breasties. This podcast is not intended for medical advice. Please refer to your doctor with any symptoms or concerns you may be having. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hi guys, happy 2023. I hope this podcast episode finds you well. If you follow me on Instagram at the Booby Docs, then you already know that recently I tore my right ACL and a few other things and had major right knee surgery. I'm happy to report that about three months out, I'm back on my feet, back at work, back in the grind, made it through the holidays, about to go on an eight-day trip to Disney World, so wish me luck. I am so excited to share this podcast episode with you with my cousins who've been affected by breast cancer. They're going to share their whole story. I will tell you that we had some technical difficulties, and this was recorded over a few sessions, so I would say that the audio quality is a six, but the content is a 12, so I hope you put up with it and enjoy this episode, and I wish you a happy and healthy 2023. All right. So people often ask me why I chose a career in breast imaging. And honestly, there are two big reasons why I ended up in a career of a breast radiologist. And those are my cousins, Melanie and Michelle. And I am so happy that they are joining me today on the podcast. So welcome. Hi, Robin. Hi. Hi. So excited to be joining you. I can't. I'm like so excited that we're actually having this conversation so we can it can live in perpetuity. (laughs) Absolutely. Very proud of you, and we're grateful. And you know, we, you're we, saving lives. Yeah, you're you saving, are saving lives. lives. Exactly. So you guys are a few years older than me, and I think I was probably in college when you were diagnosed, and I was like about, I was like on the track to become to go to med school, but I hadn't decided my subspecialty yet. And then, like as I progressed through residency and things, I, I always had you two in the back of my mind that I wanted to help women like you. Um, so I really credit you both. It really kind of led me on this path that I'm thankful for. Yes, so. no, absolutely. Thank goodness for doctors like you. So why don't you tell me a little, tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you came to be diagnosed with breast cancer. I'm going to let Melanie start. Yeah, Melanie started diagnosed first and kind of began, I yeah. guess, our journey. So floor. I'm the little sister, mm-hmm. but the little sister actually uh, was diagnosed first. So um, at 31 years old, um, the mom to a one and three year old. And um, I, it's so hard to explain, but I literally am a lefty and I just would be driving and I'm like, something just feels weird as I like move my arm or whatever. And it's almost as if something in my left breast just fell off. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I went to my OBGYN and he found the lump. Mm-hmm. So let's do a diagnostic mammogram, you know, when did that in the ultrasound, they saw, right? they saw something, um, so did the ultrasound right then. And the interesting thing is when I had the ultrasound, the radiologist was like, 
ah, it doesn't look like cancer. Um, looks like it's benign. Um, might be something called a fibroid adenoma that runs in girls your age. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the um, mammogram, um, they said it was more of like a definitive circle where they said a lot of the times it looks more like a spider. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. So the fibroadenomas tend to be circumscribed and cancers tend to be irregular, but not always. And so what do yeah. they tell you? So basically between that and then I said to him, I said, okay, so it's not cancer. Mm-hmm. So he said, I, I would say not. I go, okay, give me percentage. What would you say? He goes, maybe 3% that it's cancer. Right. He's, you know, but he said, I, you know, we don't suggest leaving tumors. We know it's a tumor, but we don't suggest leaving tumors in the breast. Mm-hmm. So you may want to see like a, you know, breast surgeon and get it taken out. Uh-huh. But you know, I think about how many women may have left that appointment and just been like, oh, it's benign. Like, yeah. I don't want surgery. Like, I'll just leave it there. Right. It sounds like he gave you something called a probably benign category where he said, like, it could be okay to watch it, which the fact that it was palpable, like that you felt it and that we felt it means that it, it should be biopsied. So I'm glad that they eventually did the biopsy. Well, yeah, I didn't even hesitate. I mean, yeah. I was like, well, if there's even a zero, uh, 1% chance. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, when he said, you know, it's a tumor, I'm like, I'm not leaving this in anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's even interesting because even when the surgeon removed it, he didn't do a needle biopsy. He removed the the tumor and even he apparently looked at it and cut it up right then and had told uh, my family, like, it didn't look bad, mm-hmm. but that was like really it until. What's everything- interesting is that triple negative cancers, like the one that you had, they tend to grow fast and they don't even get irregular. They're more round. So that's why um, that's like the thing that the fact that it was palpable means that it still it should be biopsy because it could be a triple negative breast cancer. They look the like, yeah. Never triple negatives were more around, and that probably explains that. It does explain it. And and BRCA tends to get more triple negative. So also foreshadowing a little bit. Um interesting and, that part either. Yeah. So um, we went on to have it taken out. I didn't do a needle biopsy. I just had the whole tumor mm-hmm. taken out. Um, and about 10 days later, got the unfortunate results that it was indeed um, a breast cancer. Wow. So um, from there, um, you know, they were recommending a lumpectomy mm-hmm. and having um, lymph nodes removed or checked. Uh-huh. Um, so that was the next step. We went and had, I did the lumpectomy, had four lymph nodes removed. Everything was clear. Mm-hmm. Um, all the margins were clear for all of that, but it was recommended. I see an oncologist yeah. went from there and the oncologist basically said, you're 31 years old. Um, even though everything is clear because of your young age, we're going to recommend, um, chemotherapy and then onto radiation. What were your receptors? Do you remember that? Um, I know that we were triple negative. Triple negative. That's what I thought. Both of us were triple negative. Um, and so you're 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 going through this. You have a one and three year old, which is crazy to think about. I actually remember my mom told me that she came up to help you when she like when you had surgery and things like that because you were in the thick of it. 
Yeah, your mom is, uh, is amazing. Yeah, your mom. Um, yeah, so the route that I went um, was we did chemotherapy. I had eight rounds, so I had four rounds of HMIs and cytoxin. Yeah. Four rounds of Taxol or Taxotere. Uh-huh. Um, and during this time, because it was 17 years ago, yeah. BRCA wasn't really talked about. Yeah. And um, my husband, um, Wayne, at the time, um, who's in pharmaceuticals, was calling on a doctor um, who specializes, a gynecologist who specializes in menopause, and she is of Jewish ancestry, and mm-hmm. she brought up, um, I think Melanie needs to be tested for the BRCA gene. Mm-hmm. And um, at that time, um, we would like really didn't know anything about it. Yeah. But brought it to my oncologist, who at the time said, "Well, you don't seem to have family history of breast cancer." Right. And I'm like, "Well, I'm not so sure about that yeah. because not sure how much testing has been done." Right. In my family, so long of the short, um, ended up getting. It took a while for the insurance to approve the BRCA testing mm-hmm. back then. Um, it wasn't until my last chemo treatment that we got the BRCA testing done, got results. Lo and behold, I was BRCA1 positive. Right. And at that point, uh, my oncologist said, okay, we are no longer going to do radiation. It's going to be recommended now that you have a double mastectomy mm-hmm. and you probably need to have your ovaries removed. Wow. Great. So at that point, um, we, I got, it, got, it took a couple months to recoup from all the chemotherapy, yeah. then had my double mastectomy, reconstruction, and ovaries removed in the same surgery, and with a one and three-year-old at home and not being able to lift my son to put him in, your, in his crib oh. is one of the reasons your mom came up to yeah. help. That was amazing. Yeah. Yes. Um, she is amazing, and she's a nurse, so she was probably very helpful in that time. What was interesting to me was how much your treatment changed once they knew that you were BRCA positive. Yes. I'm happy to report that, like, I think most women in your case, when they're diagnosed with breast cancer in their 30s, will be offered genetic testing now. They should be at that point because you don't want to start going down this route like a lumpectomy like you did when you're going to have a higher risk of having it again in the future. Yes, for sure. For sure. So right. he was sure that it was going to be negative. Yeah. And shocked when it came back and he said, wow, you're actually BRCA positive. Right. So the, your positive BRCA1 diagnosis and breast cancer diagnosis then leads to Michelle, right? I think this is a good segue. So tell us about that. Well, unfortunately, I feel like my journey um, was much different because I felt like I was doing all the right things that I was supposed to do um, in order, you know, to screen. Yeah. I did my first um, baseline screening at 35 years old. Wow. And it came out, um, you know, negative. My tests, my tests were all, I had, I did a normal traditional mammogram, uh-huh. came back normal. And then the following year I went back for my annual mammogram and once again, it also came back normal. Yeah. Um, the one thing I do want your listeners to know, which I did not know at the time being young, is apparently I had dense breasts. Yeah. Nobody ever mentioned to me I had dense breasts. Yeah. I didn't know I had dense breasts. And apparently, which I found out many years later, that if you have dense breasts, apparently traditional mammograms don't always pick up or detect yeah. breast cancer. 
I fell through the crack. Yeah. And it wasn't until after Melanie was already diagnosed, I think I just started to do more self-checks on myself. Yeah. And one day I was in the shower and I felt something weird, like in my armpit area. Yeah. And, you know, got a little bit nervous, yeah. but went to my normal um, primary doctor. And at the time, he thought maybe it was just a nodule, you know, which women get before they get their periods. Mm -hmm. And he basically said to me, you know, to come back within two weeks. Yeah. And if it doesn't go away, he would, you know, do some further testing. Right. So it clearly did not go away, went yeah. back. And I'm very lucky that I had this doctor at the time because he was very, very thorough. Yeah. And he actually picked up the phone and made a special call to a surgeon that he knew mm -hmm. and got me in with that surgeon. And they went ahead and did a, um, a biopsy. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I found out that I had breast cancer. Wow. So that must have been an abnormal lymph node in your arm. Probably. And then they caught it. They caught a metastasized. Yeah. Because right. it had already gotten her lymph node. You were how old at the time? Like 37? I think I was 36. 36. Because okay. it was the year. Yes. Right. I was 36. <clears throat> Did you know at that point that Melanie was BRCA positive or no? She was. And the sad part, in addition to my story, is even after she was told she was BRCA1 positive, yeah. I remember asking, you know, my OBGYN at the time, um, to get tested for the BRCA gene. Yeah. And he, you know, basically said to me that he didn't feel that I needed it, that it was, you know, just an expensive test and that I was yeah. doing everything that I was supposed to be doing, you know, in order to stay on top of my own breast health, you know, yeah. I guess in regards to just getting the mammogram. Eventually I sent her my report, yeah. my BRCA1 report, mutation, yeah. exact mutation, and she did go and use that yeah. to get tested, and she had the same exact mutation. Right. Well, once I was diagnosed with breast cancer, yeah. I, my oncologist obviously suggested I be tested as well, Right. and through that found out that I was also BRCA1 positive. And so I did the um, eight treatments of chemotherapy, and then I was in a little bit of a kind of strange situation where they brought my case in front of the panel of doctors to report half of them felt I was fine and didn't need any further treatment uh -huh. and the other half you know kind of suggested maybe I do radiation as an insurance policy to myself yeah. but I also had young children at the time yes. and after going through so much I gave myself a little bit of a break and wasn't going to go forward with radiation mm -hmm. um, but at the time uh, there was a presidential candidate mm -hmm. it was john edwards elizabeth edwards ended up getting uh breast cancer, breast cancer. Yeah. and her cancer had returned uh -huh. and it kind of gave me a little bit of a scare yeah. so i decided at that point to just go ahead and go forward uh -huh. with the radiation so i did do the radiation <laughs> and went through you know started my reconstruction it really does emphasize the point that you have to be your own advocate like 100%. You knew, you knew you needed to get genetic testing. It didn't make sense. And you kind of fought for it, right? Absolutely. It should have immediately triggered you to be genetically tested, especially with yes. the positive first. I mean, it's relative. sad because I just don't feel like there was enough uh, knowledge about it back in our day. Now, I think back then, maybe doctors were not as informed, you know, yeah. as they are today about how important this genetic testing is. And especially yes. when you've had a family member, you know, that went through it because, 
you know, back then, no, no one even heard of the genes or talked about the gene or, you know, right. you never saw any commercials about the gene or, right. you know, it's just not something every, anybody really knew of at that time. Well, yeah, today you, we usually say like, oh, the Angelina Jolie gene, right. like, because right. she Most, became like the face of it totally. for some people, like they had never heard of it. So what was it like after her diagnosis? Now everyone kind of is, we're talking about BRCA mastectomy a few years after you were diagnosed, the Angelina Jolie effect. I was happy in the sense that she came out publicly with that because I think that did open, you know, eyes to many people because Angelina's mom had had it. Yeah. Um, and it became like, you know, when I would talk about having the BRCA gene, like when I would tell people I had breast cancer and had the BRCA gene, like nobody knew what I was talking about. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, you know, the Angelina Jolie gene, you know, yeah. and like, oh, 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 yeah, that. Uh-huh. Um, but I think it was very helpful in raising awareness, um, yeah. young people, yeah. um, about this gene, you know, that that's out there. And if you have any family history of breast or ovarian cancer, it's important to look into that. Definitely. Um, no, she, yeah, she was the best PR that the gene could have had at the time. Correct. I agree. I mean, I think it's a wonderful thing because, yeah. you know, it will definitely save a lot of lives. Knowledge, you know, is power. And yeah. you know, now today, if you know you're, you're at risk for that gene and you have it, then you do have options. You yeah, know? totally. I mean, there's things that we could do, even if you choose not to get the preventative pro- uh, mastectomy, but just better screening protocols. That we right, could, right. And right. stay on top of it more. Go, go yeah. for more, more screenings yeah. than normal, and, possibly. Yeah. And add that MRI, right. You know, I've realized with a lot of these different, you know, areas, just from talking to other women and stuff, you definitely do have to be your own advocate because, you know, a lot of the time, you know, you'll find a lump and they kind of, you know, assume it's, it's, it's either um, a cyst or, you know, something else. And they're very easy to push, you know, the patient away rather than to be thorough and get everything else checked out. Yeah. I mean, hundred percent nowadays we call that medical gaslighting and I'm glad it's something that we're talking about now. I think that's an incredibly important point. Um, I have seen young women, especially get kind of their symptoms dismissed by their, you know, their doctor. Because statistically, it's not likely to be breast cancer, right? Like the numbers, it's it's not that common, but it's out there. And that's why if you feel something in your breast that doesn't feel right, you know, bring it to the attention of your doctor. And if they're dismissing it, then always say, find another doctor or, or really don't, you should not feel bad about asking. I'd really feel more comfortable if we got this evaluated with imaging, because it's usually very easy to tell whether it's something to worry about or if it needs a biopsy on imaging. Um, and then you could rest assured or, or, you know, know that it needs further evaluation. But to just kind of blow it off and dismiss symptoms, I think it's really important for women to feel comfortable ad- advocating for themselves. It's really hard to do. No, I but- agree. And I, I remember when my sister was first going through it mm-hmm. um, because she was so young. But I remember most of the doctors that she went to see kind of did kind of make it like it was a no big deal thing. And, right. you know, she, like you said, she's too young. And at that time, yeah. we had no family history of breast cancer. So yeah. I remember they all, you know, tried to downplay it and make it like it was nothing. And she was actually the one that insisted on, you know, I think it was the getting biopsy. the sonogram and then the biopsy. Yeah. Correct. 
she definitely pushed more so than than they would have at that time. The only thing I can think of also with her was, you know, mm-hmm. we both naturally had very large breasts. Mm-hmm. And when she was going through this, she had just, I think, you know, had finished with breastfeeding Ryan, right. her son. So her, right. her breast decreased in size drastically, mm-hmm. I would say from like a D to a B. Yeah. And I think it was only because her breasts were so much smaller that maybe she would have been <laughs> able to feel, you know, yeah. that small lump right. at the time. It's so interesting because breast cancer is the most common cancer during pregnancy and postpartum period. So it does make sense with her timeline as well. It's so fascinating hearing your story, like knowing what I know now. I wanted to ask you what it was like to go through breast cancer treatment yourself after watching Melanie go through it. Um, it was definitely tough. It wasn't easy. Um, you know, I went in, um, at least with, with somewhat of kind of what to expect, I guess, you know, after Mm -hmm. watching her go through it, but, you know, you soon realize everyone's body's different and she had a different, you know, like she had a much easier, um, experience with chemo than I did. The chemo for me was definitely tougher than it was for her. Um, you know, and then the radiation for me was, was a piece of cake. I would definitely say that the toughest part for me was the chemo. And it was really more so the first half, the first drug, I think Mm -hmm. that was the Adrian, uh, mycin. Yes. Yeah. Where the second drug for me was, was definitely more tolerable. Um, how old were your kids at the time when you were going through the treatment? My kids were five and eight. Wow. Yes. Very young. That must've been really tough. (laughs) You were in the thick of it. It it, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, when you're a young mom, obviously you just want to, you know, be able to survive and be here for your children. So, you know, you just have to find the strength um, you know, to go through it all. And, you know, I think, you know, somebody had once said to me that, you know, you know, it's going to be a difficult year mm-hmm. and, you know, but once you get through the year, you know, life goes on and that's pretty much, you know, for the right. most part what it is. So what was it like watching Michelle th- go through breast cancer treatment after, after having just done it yourself? Uh, it was, I mean, it was horrible. Um, I just remember um, her telling me that she had found a lump in her armpit Um, and just right away, just getting that, you know, feeling of, oh, this isn't good. Yeah. um, You know, I remember like them, you know, biopsying and then I was, and then they had called her and said like, you know, we're going to see you in the office. I think it was like either a Friday or a Monday, like during lunchtime. Yeah. And I'm like, like a good sign and I remember like you know I drove down there yeah um either for the results because you know had such a bad feeling about it and of course you know it turned out they told her it was cancer but it was even such a bizarre situation because they're like well you know it was a lump in your armpit so we know it's metastasized but it was you know it was of course very hard and you know I was there for her as much as I could every step of the way and mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I was helpful and that I had been through it. So I feel like she knows and saw me. I was okay at that mm-hmm. point. Um, you know, just be a good support for her. But it was hard. She had she had some tough times. So 
Well, you guys are both lucky to have each other. And I I really think of you both daily in my practice and thinking about the two of you. So. Uh, so thankful for you and, you know, love that you chose this profession because you're helping so many, but that you're making even more of this now with your with your booby docs and yes. getting awareness you're putting out there. Yeah. I mean, it's so important that we're talking about genetic mutations and dense breast tissue and all these things that are really important topics that a lot of people, even doctors don't understand fully. So I am getting more passionate about it as I go because I realize how important it is. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, thankful for you. That's for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's so important to hear these stories and like now um, you can get a gene panel, like a 60 cancer panel gene panel for like 150 bucks like now it's on an issue and there are programs that offer it for free so now it's so widely available so i actually the the episode after you ladies is an amazing genetic counselor we talk all about this Uh, and it's exciting because for our for our children yeah well that's what i was going to add to the conversation is i know i just um told you robin very you know recently but my daughter did go ahead and get um her testing done and it's really amazing now because they do a full panel of the genetic testing not just the raca so i believe they said that she was tested for more than over 40 different yeah you know genetic type cancer markers yeah so she she's in her early 20s, right? Like 21. She's 21. Right. When so that was another thing I wanted to talk about. Like what was that like going through genetic testing for, you know, her and for you as a mom and also her she was negative, correct? She's negative. Well, uh, clearly it's a very scary thing. Yeah. And you know, as a mom, um you know, obviously you're always very concerned and worried about, you know, what those results will mean. Yeah. I mean, I guess the positive thing is if, you know, God forbid somebody is positive, at least, you know, today going forward, there are so many, you know, tools that the doctors can use to yes. prevent, you prevent know, getting breast and cancer plan, today. Right? Like, That's wonderful. And, you know, my oncologist, of course, when my daughter turned 18, yeah. I would ask him, I go, okay, when do I need to start worrying about my daughter and my son too? Because, you know, we know there's male breast, breast cancer out there and for his children eventually. Yes. Um, and my oncologist had said probably 10 years prior to the age of your diagnosis is when we would have him tested. So, so you know, I was diagnosed around 31 and a half. Right. So my daughter it just turned 21 and she's going to be tested um, in May when she's home from school for good. It's going to be her time to be tested. Yeah, it's a scary situation. I mean, it's a stressful situation for a parent. And we talked for anybody that's going through genetic testing. And we we actually talked about like the negative guilt that people carry if they're negative. Sometimes it's a weird position to be in, too. It's not always relief. No. And I and I explained to my daughter, which, you know, it's a very important thing to know. But and I don't know if it's still true as far as the percentage. But I know when I was diagnosed with BRCA1, I was told it's only 11 percent of breast cancer cases. So truth be told, the majority of people getting breast cancer is not not even from the gene or family history. That's a great point. Yeah, Only like five to 10 percent or I think like 10 to 15 is is genetic. And most people don't even have a family history. But like so one. But once you have those things then your risk is much higher. I mean, to, to me, I, I can't speak for my sister, but yeah. for me growing up, it was something I never worried about. Yeah. You know, in my 
you know, from my side, I mean, as you know, yeah. my father, your mother's side had no cancer whatsoever in our family. Right. And even on my mother's side, the only person that I know to this day who had, you know, cancer was my grandfather at the age of 88. Wow. He had yeah. esophageal cancer from smoking. So really, I never thought of, of breast cancer as anything I'd ever have to worry about. Exactly. Um, and you mentioned your son. So yeah, like nails should be tested as well because it does have implications. Um, and so if you, are, if you are a carrier for genetic mutation, um, like BRCA and you know that young, they say <clears throat> that you should, you can start screening mammography, well, screening mammography 10 years before your earliest first degree relative, but not before age 30, and also adding supplemental MRI, and that you can even start as early as 25. Correct. Right. The so, only the only thing personally for me is yeah. I feel that the age of you know, women today, I, I just see a lot more younger women getting diagnosed. Oh, yeah. And I just feel like, I don't know, me personally, I, I just feel women maybe starting the age of 25 to even 30 years old just start getting mammograms if possible oh, yeah. because well, clearly there's an epidemic of it going gone. There totally is. They say the numbers don't show that, but like, I mean, in my practice, I know that I diagnose 30 year olds pretty much on a regular weekly basis, definitely 40 year olds and even 20 year olds. Correct. Um, so yeah, it's really important. And you know, it's important that we're having this conversation. Like I really, I really support the monthly self breast exam. And even that's controversial. Like they say, not, like American Cancer Society does not recommend that for average risk women. And I just think that's crazy because how would a 20 year old that doesn't know she's at high risk, doesn't know she, you know, could potentially be carrying a genetic mutation. How would she know that she has breast cancer? One of the recommendations is that all women like have their risks assessed before the age of 30 so that people that with that are high risk can be identified and maybe start screening earlier. But like you said, most people aren't high risk, they're average risk, and they're still getting breast cancer. So where does that leave us? Correct. And I don't know if maybe you can answer this yeah. question. I know we've, we've touched on it, yeah. but... I think even more doctors should discuss with their patients when they have dense breasts because I don't know, maybe you can describe or tell a woman how they could determine if they have dense breasts, yeah. but I don't know, for me it's it's kind of you know totally. a hard thing if you don't know. So dense breast tissue, it's well talked about now, but 17 years ago it was not. So here's what we know about dense breast tissue that we didn't know back then, which is that dense breast tissue, about 50% of women have dense breast tissue. And the more dense breast tissue you have, the harder it is to see cancers on mammography. Dense breast tissue is white, and breast cancers are usually white. So think about it like finding a snowflake in a blizzard. The more snow that is around, the harder it is to find a single snowflake. Same thing with dense breast tissue. The more white dense breast tissue you have, the harder it is to find a small white cancer using mammography alone. Additionally, we now know that dense breast tissue is also an independent risk factor for breast cancer. So just by having dense breast tissue, your risk is increased. So it's like a double-edged sword. Thankfully, there's lots of great technologies out there that help improve our cancer detection in women with dense breast tissue, like ultrasound, breast MRI, even contrast mammogram, depending on your risk factors. So typically in women that have a greater than 20% lifetime risk of breast cancer, we will screen them with um, MRI in addition to their annual mammogram. It's important to note that 
um, ultrasound and MRI cannot replace mammography. It always has to be in addition to because ultrasound and MRI can't detect things like calcifications or early signs of cancer that we can see in mammography. So that's an important thing I want people to understand. Um, also, the only way to really know your breast density is by reading your mammogram report. Under breast density, if you see that it says heterogeneously or extremely dense breast parenchyma, then you have dense breast tissue and you may benefit from supplemental imaging. So it's definitely something you'd want to talk to your doctor about. And I have a question. Yeah. Does the size, does breast size play a role into dense breast tissue? No. And it's it, like you could be, have a small breast that's incredibly dense or, an, you know, or a big breast that's all fatty or it, and it, it's like, it's supposed to get more fatty with age, but it, it, I've seen many older women with very dense breast tissue. So it's really not um, age or body type related even. Okay. So, so an additional question would be when you go, you know, when most women go for their annual checkups to their gynecologist yeah. or OBGYN and they're doing exams on them, is that something that they would be able to help, you know? It's hard because, like I said, really breast density can only be assessed on a mammogram. So it's really hard unless you're getting that mammogram and reading the specific report, it will say breast composition and it'll be a specific thing. And honestly, it wasn't even until 2015 that people started talking about this. There was this lady named Dr. Nancy Caputo. Hello. And she was basically her story. She was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer after having a normal mammogram and quotations and normal. And she's like, what I didn't know is that, you know, it was a best kept secret in the medical community, which is I had dense breast tissue and that, you know, the standard tests don't catch that. So she really passed the legislation legislation to get the the. Um, laws enacted to even educate, tell women that you might have dense breast tissue, you might benefit from ultrasound, and then also the coverage part of that, like not, it's not even covered in all states, right? So like you might have it, but it might not be covered and that's a whole nother issue by itself. So it's really early in like the dense breast density, you know, era, but I, I, I know that it's going to be something we talk about more. And there's great organizations. I'm going to give a shout out to rudense.org and My Density Matters. They really do a great job of trying to educate and telling you, read your report. Like, that's where it is. So, um, all right. Switching topics a little bit. For you, what was like the hardest part of your breast cancer journey? Okay, for me, um, Melanie, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I would say it was having such young children. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately, I had great caregivers, you know, in my town with my mother-in-law and my husband. Um, fortunately, they picked up a lot of the slack that I couldn't do. Mm -hmm. um, again, with having a one and three-year-old, of course, there are a lot of work yeah. being as a healthy mom, yeah. let yeah. alone, you know, being down for a few days from chemo and then again, having the double mastectomy surgery and not being able to lift yeah. um, for four to six weeks, of course, was challenging. Yeah. So I would say for me, that's what it was. It was the not being the feeling of like, I can't do the things I'm used to doing, having to rely on other people. And 
as many people as I've known that have gotten breast cancer, um, especially ones that are moms or moms with young kids, I like basically yell at them, beg them, please don't try to be a superhero right yeah. now. We all try to be like that superhero mom every day. Now's not the time. Yeah. Let people help you. That's great. Um, let all of those that want to help, whether it's bringing meals, whether it's, you know, taking your kids for a little bit for a play date, whatever the case may be, let let people help. Let your loved ones help you like they want to do stuff. This is what they can do. So that was personally for me, like my most challenging. Mm -hmm. My sister might be a different story. Yeah. What's yours, Michelle? Well, I would say similar to all of the above of what she said. But unfortunately for me, um, when I went through treatment, um, being a young woman, it was never really... Um, explain to me, you know, when you go through chemotherapy and you're going to stop, stop your menstruation, yeah, what really exactly that means with the hormones. Yeah. And for me, it, I really took a downward turn because of that happening to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, fortunately it caused me to have insomnia and that turned into a little bit of a clinical depression. Yeah. I don't know if we mentioned that we voluntarily did take out yes, our ovaries. Yes. So interestingly enough, my oncologist, right. I was 31, when the BRCA came back, he did say, you can probably wait until you're about 40, yeah. you know, with us doing close supervision yeah. and keep your ovaries. I said, I don't want anything left in my body. Yeah that I don't need that could possibly make me lose sleep at night worrying about cancer coming back or getting cancer of that organ or whatever. Yeah. I said, if I don't need it, take it. Yeah. And that was my choice. We were done having children. Right. So I said, if I don't need it, just take it now. Um, and then my sister, and of course, I just followed whatever my sister did. <laughs> I did as well. <laughs> so you you were both lucky that you had children because I think a lot of times young women that don't have children are then like right after diagnosis they're whisked away to the fertility clinic and they have to you know freeze their embryos and make these decisions that are like way too big to be making. And someone once described like that you're you're in the waiting room of this fertility clinic and and you have most of the this the people there are really excited. They're about to have a baby. Like they're, they're with their husband. They're trying to have a couple, you know, a baby. And a lot of times it's like this 20 year old woman who's just been diagnosed with breast cancer. She doesn't have a partner. She has to do this all by herself. And it's a lot. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you know, now you're 17 years thrivers, right? You've, you've been diagnosed 17 years ago. Is, is breast cancer something that you think about a lot or? Um, I would say for me, um, I felt, I would say definitely at least the first five to 10 years post, you know, going through it, it's something you always think about, you know, and right. you always worry about, you know, hoping and praying every year that you go back that you're going to be negative and, you know, they're not going to find anything. Yeah. I also definitely think you know, at the time it became part of my identity, I think because I was so young and everyone in my yeah. community looked to me as, you know, the one who went through breast cancer. And, yeah. um, but you know, as the years have gone by, I guess it will always be part of my identity. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know that I think about it as much anymore. That's good. Yeah. And for me, I would say, um, no, I really don't. Um, my, I remember when I was diagnosed, and for your listeners, you know, they said you're going to have one really rough year. 
It's going to be a really tough year, but you're going to get past it and you're going to move on and you're going to be healthy and so on. And that's like what I share with people who reach out to me when they're diagnosed. I'm like, it's going to be a rough year, but you're going to move on. And I'm like, look at me now, 17 years later. Um, No, I don't harp on it at all. Even, you know, my oncologist, when I got to like the five year and 10 year mark, he was like, you really don't need to come in anymore. Um, You know, you're, you're done here. And I said, you know what? I don't want to be done here for the fact that I want to see you once a year because you're going to check for things that maybe my primary isn't going to check for. And I said, it's going to give me peace of mind to just come once a year. And he's like, okay. But he's like, know that you're coming because you want to. Like, right. you're not being forced to come. And he's actually the one that does my DEXA scan every year because of early menopause and all of that. But, you know, that's just my comfort level. But, you know, I also try to remember to do, make good healthy choices as far as exercising and things like that but as far as losing sleep at night worrying about it I would say not at all well that's good you know um like a lot of people describe that like you know for the first five years you're pretty much closely followed by your oncologist your whole breast cancer team and then you enter something called survivorship where they kind of like send you off and most people are like that's exactly what happened to me they my doctor basically said michelle you don't need to come anymore (laughs) you're like but who but who's gonna look after me like you develop a long-term relationship with these doctors right they help you through the hardest time of your life you're like wait but you're not gonna hold my hand for the rest of it like Correct. Yeah, so it's almost scary when people are like graduated to survivorship clinic. Yeah, and we we still do both my sister and I still when we go for our, our you know annual uh, blood yeah. work, we still do get tested for you know the tumor the markers, marker. yeah. yeah, for both the ovarian and the you know and the breast just to be safe. I, I think that now like there's more of a push to like really focus on wellness of survivors, right? Like you, um, and that's. Amazing because it is a lot like it's a lifelong experience that you carry with you and it and it kind of molds how you are as a person and how you go through the rest of your life and you live with this fear in your back of your mind. So it is important that, you know, you have resources available and there's more and more. Um, so I love that. And you have to have faith in your doctors. And my oncologist, like when my my mother-in-law recently asked me, like, who's your one doctor that you just... Like, if you had to pick one that you trust with your life, I'm like, it's my oncologist. And I'm like, that's why I'll never give him up. I just, he's my one that I know will check everything. And I just feel so confident with him. I'm like, I'll never give him up. I don't care if I'm a 30-year survivor, knock on wood. I still want to keep going. Okay, switching topics totally. But I wanted to ask you, what do you think Mima Leatris would think about the booby docs? Oh, uh, she was. Well, first of all, beaming. yes, you were always, you know, I, I think the pride and, you know, she really I mean, she obviously loved and adored all of us. But I definitely yeah. think that you held a special, you know, candle in her eye. And she just always was so proud of all your accomplishments in school. And I think she knew that, you know, you would go very far. But just the fact that you followed, you know, behind Melanie and I with, you know, what we went through, I think that would just been an extra special thing for her. And she'd be so proud of you. So, so proud. And she, you know, I mean, this is our grandmother who has four granddaughters and that were like, that was it. That was everything for her. And um, she would be super proud and so glad that you're saving lives 
And um, she was proud of all of us. I mean, she would speak to each one of us about the other three and yeah. everything she's proud of with your sister, with my sister, all of us. She, you know, I don't think there was a prouder grandmother out there. No. She's beaming down right now. I like feel her Absolutely. with an orange in her hand. Yes. I have to read this to you. So. My parents gave this to me like a few years ago. It's in Nima Leatrice's handwriting. And I'm yeah, okay. I was like, I know that handwriting. Uh-huh. Okay, so, Love you to pieces. So it was a reading that she probably had done when I was, I would say, my mom thinks it was about five and Brooke was about two. And when I tell you how spot on it is, it is shocking. Okay, can I, I'm going to read this to you, Okay. Aries is a fire sign and represents creative activity. They are dynamic and quick, if not physically, then mentally. These people usually drive themselves and are restless, headstrong, generally successful. They are aggressive, resourceful, and competitive. Scorpio, they are highly emotional and psychic. They can succeed as surgeons or nature care doctors. They have a good brain capacity. They're mentally energetic, impulsive, and take many journeys. Like, this is me to a T. <laughs> like, yeah. And, okay, and she was such a horoscope person. She was so all about I that. am a horoscope person. I do it every morning. And, like, the fact that she was, and this is in her handwriting, and this is, like, me. Amazing. Is, like, I know she's, like, involved. Okay. Yeah. She's fond of parents, good ending to enterprises, fond of eating, marriage, usually delayed <laughs> in life but happy, um, profit from their vocation, and could be reasonably be well honored materially from their services on behalf of others and should receive a title to indicate this. Wow. Right. Okay, let me keep going. They have a loving nature. They're fond of pleasure and gaiety and social amusements, but they also love poetry and art. I love writing. Oh, we know you won a Silver Knight Award for it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for my plug-in. There you go. They're generous and kind and very attractive to the opposite sex. <laughs> All right, hon, um, I'm almost done. Natural leader could be a surgeon, chemist, dentist, or artistic pursuits. They are generous and despise anything mean or unkind. They love practical achievement, but don't care... <laughs> Don't care much for the routine of homemaking. <laughs> Perfect. Spot on. Perfect. Okay. Can be critical and sensitive, overanalyzing with themselves and others. Needs a husband who is patient and knows distinctly how to cope with Aries tendencies. Wow. Brooks is spot on as well. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. But this is the same psychic that predicted that my mom was going to uh, marry a man named Lee. Oh, wow. And my mom didn't know my dad at the time, but his name is Lee. They get married later. Amazing. I never, yeah, I never heard of him. Yes, that's phenomenal. I bet you, I wonder if you guys have readings. Like, I, I, We probably do, but unfortunately, I'm sure, like, they weren't kept as well for us as, <laughs> as yours were. <laughs> I have scanned copies. I'm going to frame this next to my bed. Like, You should. You should. I that's have a few great. of our old photo albums. I'll have to look through it and see if oh there's my any hidden treasure immediately. Yeah. Yes. You'll, you'll learn something. Absolutely. So. Anyways, I have enjoyed this conversation more than you will ever know. And I adore you both. And I am just so grateful that you're my cousins and that like we've been on this journey together. And I really think about you in my daily practice. 
We are, we, we are, we couldn't be prouder of you, really. I mean, you, your, your whole family, everything. We, we know your husband's a radiologist as well, and he's helping yeah. to save lives and everything else. And we, we're very grateful for what you're doing. And, and most importantly, you know, like, unfortunately, we didn't have when we were going through it. You're going to be a wealth of knowledge to a lot of, you know, women out there. And hopefully you're going to, you know, save, not only save a lot of lives, but maybe, you know, help women detect their breast cancers, you know, much earlier. Definitely. I actually have to tell you, since starting the booby docs, like and really being active on it in the past two years and posting about feel it on the first, like in self breast exams, I've had three followers, including they were all young, find their own breast cancers. Amazing. Like, well, that's really what happened just, with Melanie and I both. We, we both yeah. found our own breast cancers, you know? I think the most important message to your listeners is yeah. that, like, I remember my sister, you just have to know your body and you have to listen to your own instincts. Yeah. Go with your gut. Yeah. Go with, Go your, with gut. your gut. And if you totally. feel something that you feel is off that wasn't there or something, you know, you need to go check it. It doesn't matter your age. You need to go get it checked out. Right. If you're not feeling good after leaving that doctor, you go to another yeah. doctor and you exactly. find the right one that's going to get you what you need because it's, right. it's you have one life to live and that's it. That's right. That's it. Um, all right. I love you, ladies. So we love, love you, you too. We Very love you. proud of and, you. And, and to your partner, Adrian, also, she's amazing. She is amazing. And her grandma and everything else. All amazing. I have to post a picture. She's a new aunt, and Grandma Lena has a new grandchild, and we are so happy. For amazing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this conversation or learned something new, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review and help spread the word. If you tell me you did, I'll give you a big virtual smoocheroo. And of course, make sure you follow me across all social media platforms at The Booby Docs for more of the breast information. And a huge thank you to my podcast producer, Christian Cuveta, an amazing medical student who also wrote and produced the music for the show. Take it away, Christian.